Let's just clap on four. One, two, oh, one, two, three. <laughs> Welcome back to Cutting Class, a podcast about film and video editing, as told through the lives of some of the top editors in their fields. I'm your host, John McSwain. On today's episode, I'm speaking with the Oscar-nominated editor of the Best Picture-nominated film, Sound of Metal, Mikkel E.G. Nielsen. Mikkel is a Copenhagen-based feature and commercial editor, now best known for Sound of Metal, but also previously Beasts of No Nation, Madame Bovary, and A Royal Affair. He's repped by Rock, Paper, Scissors, which in my world is a pretty big deal in itself. In September 2019, I was at Toronto International Film Festival and managed to score a seat at the premiere of Sound of Metal. As luck would have it, my brother-in-law, Guy Lakata, was Riz Ahmed's drum teacher for the film. I was completely blown away by this movie. The film follows the story of Reuben Stone, a harsh-noise punk drummer who suddenly loses his hearing and his road to recovery and self-realization at a deaf community for recovering addicts. As you can imagine, it's anxiety-inducing, but it's also very, very tender. It was nominated for all of the awards, including the Oscars Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, Best Editing, and Best Sound. Mikkel also just won the BAFTA and Critics' Choice Awards for Best Editing. A few notes before we begin. Sound of Metal is the directorial debut of Darius Martyr, who we will talk about a number of times. Darius previously co-wrote the screenplay to The Place Beyond the Pines with Derek Chanfrance and Ben Cocho. Sean France wrote the story of Sound of Metal with Darius, originally basing it on the band Jucifer, actually. The screenplay was taken up by Darius and his brother, Abraham Martyr. The sound editor is Nicholas Becker, who is also Oscar nominated. Let's see. Angus Wall is the iconic editor of The Social Network, Zodiac, and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, as well as the Smells Like Teen Spirit video who owns and operates Rock, Paper, Scissors, a highly esteemed editing house in Los Angeles and New York, and on which Mikkel is rostered, as I previously mentioned. And lastly, Martin Detura is a Danish director known for music videos such as Kanye West's Flashing Lights, Fever Ray's When I Grow Up, and Feist, The Bad, and Each Other, which was edited by Mikkel. Please be advised that we will be speaking at length about Sound of Metal, and there will be spoilers. Not that there's a ton to spoil, so if you haven't seen it yet, I recommend you do, and I recommend you do that now instead of listening to this. I mean, come on. And now, my interview with Mikkel E.G. Nielsen, and this is Cutting Class. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know that you are have been inundated with interviews leading you know, through your award season. Congrats, by the way, Thank on you. everything. Thank you so much. Thank you. The BAFTA is very huge, and you've got Oscars coming up soon. I'm very surprising, <laughs> for me at least. Yeah, I mean, I bet, you know, like I can't imagine you taking on this project and then and it leading to this. But it's also because I'm from Denmark. And so, so for us, it's more like the Oscars would be if we could get like foreign movie. That mm. would be huge, right? Right. But that's like... Everything is government funded here. So the film is more like it's, it's, it's the country that that puts it up for an Oscar. It's not really like a specific, either the DP or the sound. Or, I mean, it's very, very rare. I think it's only happened once before that, that I think Max von Sydow was nominated as an Oscar uh, uh, actor, like best leading actor, like many, many years ago on a Danish film as a foreign film. 
And then this year, they have uh, another round, which is suddenly with uh, Thomas Winterberg, who's uh, uh, one of the directors, which Mm -hmm. is huge. I loved another round. Yeah. So for everyone now, that's like, whoa, is that even possible? Editorial never happened. But it's probably because it's also an American film, right? So it gets attention. Right. I've been in the Danish industry for many, many years. And I was so curious to see at a certain point, I was like, I got the possibility of going to the US and and go out in the world. And, And it's so rare that you can bring your craft out. A DP gets to see the world and shoot and the actors get to to travel around and directors the same. But as an editor, they'll always say like, no, no, we're going to send you the footage and you can sit at home. Yeah. So I tried to, to uh, see if I could come and work in the US and was invited there by Rock, Paper, Scissor, an editorial company, which is owned by Angus Wall, who's an editor himself. Uh, and it's built around editors, which is super interesting. Yeah. Angus is a legendary editor. Yeah. And um, to be honest, it's because he's more like a, a, he's created this space where it's it's about editing, but it's also about, it's a little bit like how we do it actually in Denmark, where, where it, it, we help each other. We look at each other's stuff. We, we try to raise the bar, at least challenge and see, is there something that we didn't try that we can try and maybe it makes it better uh, for the sake of the film, not for it's So it's not a competition. It's not mm. something that uh, I'm not going to give you any ideas just because I don't want you to succeed or anything, which is a little bit like how we do it in Denmark because everything comes from film school mm. mm-hmm. and film school in Denmark is a um, four years program, government funded, Wow. But you can only do editing. So you, you apply as an editor. You must have edited stuff yourself only just to apply, to apply. And if you get in, you are six students working with the same material for four years. So it's six pairs of different eyes looking at the same material. Wow. And you learn, so, you learn so much from the fact that you do it one way and you have a sensibility. And I might do it a little different way, work with sound and with music. But we, we create like a language, uh, a verbal language together, how to express what does it feel when you do this kind of start or this middle or this end. And why does it, why is it, it doesn't work at all in my version, but you suddenly nailed it and it's just amazing. And then you go back and you look at your own material once again and you're more like, hmm, what was it that you could see? What did John see in the material? Why didn't I see that the first time? I know this is a long time ago for you, but you know, when you're doing something like that, do you, did you find that you would kind of gravitate so what, to where, you know, like that's working for them. I want to try that out. And then like, I, I could see two possibilities where you might kind of gel into one style or it splits off like it did. But I read someone who told me that uh, painting, it's like, if, if you want to, if you want to, uh, explode the painting or if you want to uh, paint in a a cubistic way then you have to learn to be one of the best just to uh, work in in a natural way so so the fact that you go to a film school where you teach and you learn and you fill that toolbox with um, how you can approach different styles or different stories or even different people how you work in an edit room together with me uh, when to take the discussions, when to when to challenge the material, 
when to wait or when maybe to try and get you to say that this would be a good idea to do with the material. Mm. There's so much uh, psychology in terms of how we work in the edit room because if you start by seeing everything and you get frustrated and you say, I, I don't know at all how to solve this, who would ever trust you with anything? I mean, right. you might you might have a doubt that it, it's not, but, but our chair has to at least explore opportun- uh, uh, possibilities, find, find new ways to attack the material if it, it turns out that it doesn't work in that way. Yeah. And, and even uh, keep a positive tone and say like, you know, my room, it's open for any stupid idea. You can bring on anything because it might be that key to something which is completely interesting, mm-hmm. uh, that, that it opens up a whole new world. So going to that school for me was like a complete eye-opener because I actually knew how to edit when I entered the school, but everyone thought that I was strange because <laughs> I didn't know how to verbally say why I do the things. It's more about you feel that it's right in your stomach, but, but sometimes it's difficult to, uh, can I just get two more days alone yeah. and you get out of the door and then I'll show you this and they'll be like, well, that's interesting. That's amazing sometimes, but why couldn't we find that together? Uh, and then, so it's about that dialogue in the in the room, right? It's about also trying to understand what it is you want to do with your material. If you were the director and you brought me your material, it would be a dialogue because I want to, I'm supposed to help you and I'm supposed, actually I'm supposed to be able to edit any kind of way I shouldn't have my own way. And I even, I even search for projects which takes me in different directions just to see, or at least to say, I've never tried that. I might actually be able to do that instead of just saying, I don't know that. So that's, it's a little bit like some directors who like try different genres to try different certain areas. And sometimes you find a style and sometimes that becomes your style, which I also like that some editors, for example, have a style. But I think it's more about that I should have a toolkit so I can do all the things for you. And, and if you look at Sound of Metal, it has so many different styles. There's not one style. There's like three films, and they're treated completely different ways. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you take on? Are you? Are you? Do you find you're receptive because of that? The school that you've done and everything that you're receptive to commentary and criticism. Do you show your work to everyone around you as you're working? Absolutely. I mean, the idea is to edit with an open door. I call it so. So that meaning that often you sit at um, at a place where other editors would be. Or in my instance, I'm at Rock Paper Scissors. We have uh, 22 editors or so. Of course, I'll I'll show it, and I know that some of them have certain strengths or that they look at material in certain ways. So I would always challenge the material and invite people in and look at it and ask, how do you connect with it? What do you say? And they might have that little small idea that I never thought of, but also just knowing how things will be received. Because it might, as long as it's an active choice, it can be an active choice that I bring something out in the world with the director and say, we know or it might be that you will criticize this and this and this, which is fair. It's fair to criticize things. But the worst thing that can happen is if you criticize it for something that we never thought about in the edit room. 
in my opinion. It should be something that we already discussed and it should be an active choice that this is what, how we are going to tell the story. Mm. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we haven't turned those stones. Right. Can you tell me the about how you got this job, how you were first in contact with Darius? I was invited for an interview and Darius in, interviewed a lot of... Uh, he told me he interviewed a lot of editors uh, and he used to edit himself. He started uh, as an editor. Um, so, so I would assume he has his own idea of how to work with an editor. Um, and he also said it in the interview. He, we talked a lot about uh, who we are as people or who I am. And he told me about him and the project and how long he, he spent on trying to raise it and figure out what to do. I had already seen some dailies at that time because they were shooting. I spoke with Darius right when they went from the U.S. to Europe to shoot the, the European section. Got it. Because um, they shot chronologically. They shot everything chronologically, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. And, and and no, it's really is something that you feel in the story, I think. Um, he had this uh, way or how he would like to approach it, uh, how he would like to work with the material. Um, I'm very open. I'm a very open person uh, to that. I even thought that we should work together because I knew that he was used to be an editor and I've actually edited movies before where uh, editors became directors and it's it's an interesting uh, uh, dialogue in in the room because there's some things that you can even talk about a little bit more in in terms of stuff uh, or you can be a little more nerdish or, or uh, course, how yeah. to approach it so I was very open to that, that he should also uh, bring his talent and, and try to edit certain things and stuff like that. Completely. I love that. Because mm. um, it's all about collaboration, even with the other departments. And then he had this uh, thing that uh, sound, of course, was uh, very uh, important and uh, that he wanted me to, to at least... Um, have a take and talk with the, the sound designer, Nicholas, uh, to see how we, how can we find a, a, a way maybe to, to work a little bit more, uh, between the departments like edit and sound. And I used to be a sound designer myself. I started oh. as a sound, uh, doing sound, uh, field recordings, uh, for the news, but at least it's part of my DNA that I like sound. Very cool. And, and, and also because we're such a small country. We don't uh, in Denmark. We don't have the budget for for uh, uh, music supervisors for for so sound guys to put sound on. So it's something you bring on to uh, to the table yourself as an editor often, mm. uh, and that way you develop your own uh, way of working with sound uh, and and music, of course. Um, so 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 he had all these ideas, and he told me this is how we're going to do it. And then uh, the reason I got the job, he said, told me, was because then after listening to what he said for a while, I asked him if he wanted to hear how it's going to be if he wanted to edit the film with me. <laughs> and he felt probably like, I just told you how it's going to be. But that's not really how I work. Sure. Um, especially when he describes that whole process of, being with the a script and already edited on when it was a documentary for Derek Jan France, uh, 
inheriting it and, and raising it and writing it and, right. and trying to make it for so many years and finding the actors and finding all the things. He's like uh, light years ahead of me of this story. Uh, so the only way I can get into the material is by at least not talk too much and maybe have my own impression of, of things. So that's what I told him. I need to sit with it alone <laughs> and do a first pass, do like a first assembly. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and not even talk too much about the scenes because sometimes these strange things happen that I put it together in a different way that he thought about it. In a week or two, you can change a film completely structure-wise. Yeah, uh, working with scenes. If you have, if you have like a, the vision of what to do, it, it's very fast. You know how it is also with sound or, or with whatever it is or with music. Uh, how to you can just try a different start or middle or an ending. So, so it's not like it's time consuming, doing mistakes. It's more about that it actually maybe even opens up something, hmm. which is why I sometimes call it like a mistake is not a mistake in 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 the edit room because because it might bring a key to something which is super interesting and you would never have thought about it unless you enter that world and try these things. Totally. So because they shot it chronologically, did that confine you in any way? Did you, did you have a lot of creative freedom then to restructure? No, he was completely open. I, cool. I would never restructure anything from, from a, a first pass. Absolutely not. But they might shoot a lot of extra scenes, like which is not necessarily in the script, or maybe they even shoot some scenes in different locations or different ways, mm. unless you really know what you're searching for. But but give it. I'm talking more about uh, the the section in the deaf community because it it's it should feel almost like a documentary, mm. certain scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, you shoot a lot of extra scenes, of course, also to try and find, just to find the balance of the characters and how much do you want to bring uh, their world into his world and how much do you want him to interact with maybe even the, the kids or their parents at the deaf community and these things. And, 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 and the only good thing is that they shoot it because if you don't have it, you don't know. So right. we have to try all these things. Even though that it might, uh, or the director even might know that it's not going to end up in the film, but it, it potentially can do something interesting in the relationship if you have certain scenes or they have tried to film certain scenes where you feel something and then maybe take them out and then you can still feel it in the scenes they shoot afterwards. Uh, mm. When you have a character who's going through this crisis, you have to build empathy prior to it for the viewer to kind of really empath- empathize with what they're going through, right? Or th- what kind of considerations did you, or, or cuts did you have to make in order to help us really fall for Ruben so that we could be in his place? That was a challenge because uh, Ruben is who he is. And it's kind of caustic, people, right? Yeah, and some people might see him toxic even like from the start, that he's, right. and he's, he's so aggressive and so... So it's, it's, it's little by little you peel these things off and you find. Uh, and then also it's about um, uh, relationships. If he does a tender thing to a character, if you look at the character taking it in, uh, maybe you hold that moment for a slightly longer time. You, you bring some of those uh, tender moments into the situation and he becomes a little more tender. Mm-hmm. Maybe even uh, what he actually is. 
uh, and then taking off anything which could feel aggressive or because you see him in that concert and you immediately understand the relationship between the two in a professional way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have no idea that that's going to be uh, a relation, that they also would have a relationship. Right. But you see them as uh, equals. Right, you see they're locked in. Even, you see they're locked in the way she looks at him, the way he's following her beat, starting on it. Uh, he's, he's the drummer. He keeps everything moving. I mean, you already probably have an idea who this guy is just by the first image of a tattoo saying what it says and right. the aggressiveness, how aggressive he is. The way she looks, uh, the, what she screams or sings, um, you have a, cer a certain idea of them as people as well. Also, the, the way, what kind of music they play. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts, very hard cuts to opening up a world that they are also a couple living in an airstream. And he wakes up and he looks at her and he looks out and he starts dusting and he prepares that smoothie and the coffee and the push-ups and stuff. So it, it's language telling you about him as a character mm. less than it's a verbal way to say who he is because you haven't, you haven't heard him speak at all. So the first time you hear him, he's like, Lou, Lou. Uh, he made that smoothie and it's a funny sequence he's talking about. It's like, it tastes awful. You shouldn't taste it. <laughs> yeah. But he's also tender. Hey, don't scratch. Don't hey, do that. Yeah, exactly. And he's waking up and he's nice and puts on music and they dance and they, he's a really nice guy in right. that relationship. But it also tells you he's the fixer. He is the one doing it. He's still that drummer. Right. In the relationship. Driving off, he's still driving the bus. She can sit and write her stuff. And the way they talk, like uh, it's like slices of life. Like if we were on a road trip, you and I together, we would maybe have some of these dialogues after seven or eight or 10 hours. Right. We would laugh about these things. Right. So it feels, it feels real. It feels, it, it, they feel like real characters. Yeah, and I read somewhere that you even removed an altercation scene. And I'm assuming that's to reinforce this kind of tenderness because you don't want to make him so aggressive up front, right? It's super important that you believe in, in their relationship. Yeah. And the love between them. He can't be too aggressive. I mean, he can, he can, he can act when he's losing a sense, but, but um, of course, but we need that love in order to understand when she's leaving him, that she's doing it for the benefit. She, right. she does it for him. Right. Uh, and you feel that. Yeah. I, f I have a sense that it's an earned moment. And some could argue that, that it needs a little bit more of a character work, that you want to know more about the characters before you actually get into losing uh, a sense with him. Mm. But I think, I think it's very daring from Darius's uh, chair to tell a story like this, that you know so little, that it, it peels off information. You don't know anything about them. But you have your own uh, idea of them as characters. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about that question. I, I'd seen the film prior and I was like, I don't remember him being that tender or that enjoyable. I could only remember the breakdown, you know, when he finds out he's deaf. And I remember playing the drums and everything. And I was like, I wonder how he achieved that. And then I went back and rewatched it. And all those scenes were really lovely. You know, it's just the... Mm. Yeah. the 
quiet, you know, not, not, no talking, just, just the way that he in, interacts and the way that he moves is tender and you sympathize with him much faster. And you laugh with them. Yeah. And they both have really expressive eyes and they say they communicate a lot with their eyes. Yeah. And yeah. that was another thing I got thinking is, I mean, so you're dealing with powerhouse performances. You've got two, two Oscar nominated performances and Olivia's incredible. I mean, if she had more time, hers would be as well. Um, yeah. So it struck me that you're probably, I noticed, you know, you you also just allow them to breathe a lot in the way that you're cutting them. I found that you cut to a lot of your characters almost a little early and just let them express like their faces say so much, especially Paul, Paul Racy, the way that, you yeah. know, yeah. there were so many scenes with him where he's not speaking and you're just sitting with him he's for a while. He's very tender. Yeah. You're sitting with him and he's also just looking, I mean, uh, uh, and it's, it, it's also about that community that, that it's like a, it's so dis difficult to listen, right? Uh, but they're really good listeners. Yeah, it, it's about that that you feel that I listen to. If I always look away, you would have like, is he even looking at me? Is mm. he even uh, paying any attention? So there's there's this uh, really interesting connection all the time that they're very present. Yeah. It's about being present in the situations. Mm -hmm. Which is also what surprises you when you get to breakfast or a dinner table and it's so loud and noisy and fun because you would think the complete opposite somehow because that's just my own stupid assumption of a community. Uh, mm -hmm. why, and then again, why would it? Why wouldn't it be loud as hell and, and fun and trying to get each other's attention and, and fast? Of course it is. Um, Right. So obviously, uh, we definitely worked a lot with them, but I have to say, I I never actually saw their performances as um, actors. I tried to to cheat myself uh, into saying these are real characters. Hmm. I treated Ruben, Joe, Lou, much more like uh, real people. In the sense that, that you should feel that they're real people because there was something so raw and so the energy. The, I mean, for me, Riz was Ruben. Say something much. in the film. Yeah. I didn't see anything else. I saw someone giving me options. My first worry is uh, structure. Do we have a film? Mm -hmm. in terms of understanding a film, like from start and middle and an end, do we have a film? That would be the first pass. But seeing a first pass, this film was three hours and 45 minutes. There's, there's never really, it's mechanical, because I, I just put everything together in the way that I work, right? But, but there's never really any um, character. There's never uh, any emotions in it. Mm. Because those are the things that you have to find within the character. That's like, how long do you stay on an image of a look? How can you change the way, for example, when uh, Joe asked Lou, can you find a place? And you cut to her looking at Ruben in the airstream the night before he smashes everything and she leaves. That would have been a completely different scene if we started it with Ruben. And she's looking at him, but putting those words from Joe on her, watching worried, 
Mm-hmm. You bring that in to her as a character looking at Ruben. And mm-hmm. then you end it again with that whole where we can go into that internal world, which right. is like a contract that we, we try to, to, to make between you as an audience on it. Me as a filmmaker, it's like if we understand, if we create a language where you'll be like, "Oh, this is how we tell stories," then we also, as filmmakers, create rules for ourselves. This is how we have to tell a story. This is how we have to tell a scene. This is what we can do with a scene, and it's so incredibly powerful to be given as as an editor, be given a sound as a storytelling tool because you can really work with how much information you want to give in the scene. Right. And that was the le- lesson learned from this because there were a lot of scenes that didn't work in the second pass, in the third pass, in the fourth pass, whatever it is. But it's little by little you find these things. And then suddenly you find out that that if you have information that your main character doesn't have, if you know more than your main character, you're way ahead of him which is why you're not in you're not present in the scene with him but right. if you never know more than your main character and you can go that internal external way to go in and out and you can feel the moment with him but you have absolutely nothing no idea what's going on the first time we go with him at the pharmacy you go in that mumble and you suddenly you stay on him and it goes around you see a doctor you can't hear anything then we as an audience cut out to that internal, external language. But that's not something that Ruben experiences. So you kind of know a little bit more than your main character, but he gets it because he's writing it. A doctor, I have to see a doctor. It's more about how also to try in the scene to tell you this is how it is to be Ruben. Mm-hmm. And the best way to show you this is how it is to be Ruben is by showing this or this, this or this, right? Right. You get in and you get frustrated with him and you even get the anxiety or like it's almost a horror movie. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I've I've had some friends describe it as excruciating at some points where it's, you know, it's just your worst nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah suddenly. But it, but it's not if you, it, it, it's not something that, it's something you take for given even sometimes. Right. right? Of course we can just hear, but then suddenly... Being uh, waking up thinking that you lost your hearing, it, it would change everything. Right. Yeah, and that's and and because of that that fear, you automatically have the audience on the hook. Yeah. Cutting class is a labor of love for me and has no current advertisers, but I do think little breaks are good for the brain, and I also believe in supporting and advertising small businesses. So. Whether or not you play the drums, a good editor needs good rhythm. I'm sure a lot of you, editors or not, tap out beats to songs you're listening to on your mouse pad and it feels pretty good, right? Well, keeping a reflex drum pad and a pair of sticks next to my desk has taken it up a notch for me. Working my hands and wrists out, improving my rhythm, practicing along to songs, and generally just a really nice little stress reliever, you know, just to bang on something. There's a whole pitch for gear nerds to be made about the advanced materials used that more realistically matches a drum head and the reduced sound output, but I'll just say it's a good time and it helps me focus, and it's made by the same guy Lakata that taught Riz to play drums for Sound of Metal. Just look at that glorious cross-promotion integrated marketing. No, but really, these are great. So check them out at reflex.co, that's R-E-F-L-E-X-X.co, or on Instagram at underscore 
R-E-F-L-E-X-X underscore. And now, back to the interview. I'm curious, though, because, you know, you're, you, you yourself obviously have the ability to open yourself up. I mean, you're, you have to get inside these characters, so you have to make yourself vulnerable as well in order to mm-hmm. feel what they're feeling. Do you find that that's just something natural for you? Is there something that you do in order to keep yourself open and aware? Like, do you, is there a way that you train yourself to view the world or to view art or, you know, other films or anything like paintings that to be more open? No, I think, I mean, I try, I'm, I'm actually very private um, uh, and shy. Uh, I don't know what to say in, in, in like big, gatherings or so mm-hmm. but it's about that that um it's about that connection as well with Darius who who he is as a director because mm. he brings so much to the table and he allows you to explore and then it becomes like a lab but sometimes a lab is like more like a, you're trying to invent things you're trying something for the first time this is so interesting maybe we won't succeed Maybe, I don't know, but it's really fun to try. Maybe you can do this and this. And he allows you to bring in these uh, ideas and try these things. Mm-hmm. Instead, I mean, he could, he could also just say, this is how I want it. This is how we're going to do it. And then, but then, then, of course, I would maybe bring a little less to the table. He said he, he had this thing that, and it's not even something he set but it's more in his way his approach to things it's more like he invites you to if you cross that thing that you don't know if it's right or wrong but you just explore Mm -hmm. then interesting might happen and that's been my approach all my life Mm -hmm. my approach from from my parents they told me like it's not about that goal it's about the journey put put a goal but if you reach it fine if you don't as long it's fine as long as you're trying. Well, that's nice. And it's all and it's all about what you're actually uh, finding. And then suddenly you'll find out that it's 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 fun to go down. Oh, maybe it's not just a straight road. Maybe it needs some small side roads. And then you go down that one. Ah, oh, let's go back. And then you go down that. And then you just explore together. And you almost don't want to finish it, right? Because it's just so much fun. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Where are your parents? Were your parents involved in the arts? Yeah, uh, my dad is very much uh, like Ruben. He's, uh, I mean, he's not addicted, but he he's a he's a professional musician. Has been playing for fifty years in Denmark. Um, has issues with his hearing. Um, I'm a drummer myself. I've been playing drums all my life. I have really? a drum kit in my in my in my edit room. Yeah, which is why I connected with the material. Amazing. Yeah. Instantly, instantly, I knew this is interesting because I can relate to it. I can relate to being a drummer, losing your sense. Wow, of course. And it's a physical thing, being a drummer. But it's also about not being able to express a lot of things. You're not so verbal as a drummer, somehow. It's more about uh, you're trying to, like Ruben, fix it, fix it. You just keep the beat, but it's so nice to be the drummer. Just keep the beat rolling and then everything will... Yeah. Um, I'm a drummer as well. 
Yeah. And a drummer who have, has suffered some, some hearing issues over the years, you know, playing mm-hmm. and being around loud music for a long time. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I immediately lock into the character and the story. And it's just, yeah. you know. But that was the same with me. Yeah. And then the, the issue was for a long time uh, that, that the concert wasn't the opening. I mean, when you see the film, it completely makes sense that the concert is the opening. But it's actually very daring to start a, a, a film with that kind of concept, but also for that long, without making it like a title sequence, or mm-hmm. if you have to have it, but just let it stand. But but then at a certain point, it's like this whole project, what is it about? It's about you getting into that sense, opening up that sense. But even if you hate that kind of music, it will put you like, if this is going to continue for two hours, I'm out. I'm not going to listen to it at all. Mm. And some might even say, what on earth is this? This is amazing. It's like, I have friends who play in these kind of clubs, drummers, I've tried it myself, and it feels exactly like being on stage. Mm. The whole, uh, uh, the, the sound and the quality, I've seen it in cinemas. And you probably saw it with, uh, with uh, good headphones or something. It's like physically being present at that spot where he's sitting. Yeah. And then just also that whole idea of not giving me as an editor any cutaways and telling the actors, there's no way we're going to do cutaways. This yeah. is not like we're going to show that you're talented in the edit. If you want to play, you play it. And you play it in front of a real audience. Yeah, it felt so real. You were definitely on stage with them. That's him playing. That's her singing. That's her singing, uh, playing the guitar. Yeah. And, and you know, there was also something, you know, because it wasn't also just a like a, a standard punk or, or metal song or anything. It was a much more interesting, experimental, aggressive kind of like noise. It was like mm. there was a, the just the drum pattern that he was playing alone was different. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's way more visceral when he's just hitting the toms like that. And, you know, you're, yeah. it's, I, I felt like it was drawing me in even more. Mm-hmm. If it was just a yeah. standard punk track, it would be fun, but it wasn't, you know, there was something way more aggressive and visceral to it. Really, yeah. So what would have been the, in, the intro if it wasn't the concert? Uh, the airstream. Just waking up. Just waking up. Uh, so you would have seen him tender first before you, he's aggressive. Well, well, they wouldn't be tender then because they wake up. He prepares breakfast. He would maybe then you would awaken the senses. You, then you would play around with who are they as characters. You would understand that they're a couple. You wouldn't necessarily know that they're musicians. Mm. Then you would understand that they also have the mixer and all the equipment in the airstream, and they would uh, do music together. And you would little by little open up that world. But it, but it created issues with them. Who are they? And actually, it created more issues with her. Who is she? And what's the? Wh- how are they going to be equal? Because he's preparing the breakfast. He's is she sitting writing? Is she? Right. What is she? But by having that whole concert, knowing exactly she's the lead singer, she's the front. It it helps so much for the rest of it, and we can mm. tell it so much. And it's also about trying to develop a film which tells you uh, things in a natural way. It's not something you have to figure out. So it's not more, it's not about 
uh, who's the smartest uh, in terms of uh, using like uh, musical uh, expressions of you should uh, do a little more re rework on the drums or you should uh, try to blah, 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 all these things. Darius had these things as well. We tried them and which was interesting. It was really fun to play around with it, but you have to find simplicity mm. in order to tell something which is a little more complex. And this was like the complete, for me, the natural way to enter the story by sound, by a feat from a guitar. You meet your character. The first image mirrors the last image. There's a circle to that whole thing. Oh, with Ruben sitting, sitting facing the camera. Ruben, it's exactly the same kind of uh, image of him. Uh, yeah. He sits eager, start, oh, waiting amazing. to start, and he sits... And he sits in, in, in silence, in peace in the end. And suddenly there's an arc, there's a circle that right. creates all that. And, and we could use, the other thing is that we could use instead of, because we didn't want to work with score, music as a score. It, it can be source, absolutely like a, a concert or her, uh, him putting on a record or the piano scene or uh, the last scene where they're singing. But it can't be, uh, it shouldn't be like emotions uh, music that uh, creates emotions in the scene. It should feel raw, but what you right. can do is you can use that feed from the guitar, which is the first sound that you experience with your main character. So you remember that sound with Ruben. Mm -hmm. If you use that from an internal perspe uh, perspective with him throughout the whole film, or like variations of that, of course, it's not just the same sound, but it's just, it has the same feeling together with that internal sound of like from them driving from the diner to Joe's place. It, it's a montage, but a montage would normally be with a track under it or something. And there is like a track or a feed going there, but it's also that in, how does he hear the world from his perspective right. in these different situations cutting around. So it's very raw. It's almost like, um, yeah, like a documentary. Uh, you would how you would treat a documentary without, uh, and then just not have music on it, mm. almost. Right, and the center of that being, you know, when he's hitting the slide with the kid, which I assume you know is the double the double entendre of the name. It's the sound of metal that he learns. So was that always the crux? Was that always intended to be the the middle and the the kind of split point for his character? Yeah, I mean, that was the goal. And you try to, you never know if you can, uh, I, I, I came, became obsessed with the idea that it had to be on the one hour mark. Oh, funny, yeah. Because um, the beauty of a boy awakening the sense of someone that told you, I'm not a drummer until I get my cochleus. And then a boy showing you that you can still have that through these vibrations. Mm -hmm. It's just a beautiful scene. And from that moment, he enters that world. And, and you have like a few images of time passing. And then everything is subtitled from then on because he knows sign language. Mm, right. So that was the whole idea that, that you as an audience should feel like a minority up to that point. A mm -hmm. deaf person would be able to understand the whole film because it's closed caption all the way through. And the scenes with ASL 
wouldn't be subtitled until Ruben understands Simon. I love that when he comes to the, you know, when he's at the dinner table and he can't understand anything and there's no subtitling, so we can't understand either. That's how you see it. And exactly. you're like, what, what's going on? But you feel the same frustration as your right. main character. Right. And it's a genius way to do it, but it's so difficult to create that language because, because when it's too much and when does it work? It was so difficult to find that balance, but, 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 uh, these were wishes and things that Darius said from the start. I okay. want it to be closed captioned. I want Mikkel, I want to give a deaf person a complete uh, uh, experience as a whole. And I want you as a hearing person to feel left out. I mm. want you to feel like that minority, how they normally see p- uh, films. It's right. so, such a beautiful idea. Um, and it's so difficult to create that language. There, um, so I, I, I watched some of your other films as well. And yeah. um, Sound of Metal, Beast of No Nation, Royal Affair, and Madame Bovary. One, kind of all deal with this central theme of, of a character being in a position that they can't control and, need, and are trying to escape. But also, you know, are really, in, especially with Beast of No Nations, extremely emotional, extremely heavy yeah. content. Yeah. I guess, what, first of all, I was wondering how you deal with that, you know, if it, it just with your own personal psyche, if, if dealing with these, you know, heavy themes and, and, and how you kind of can keep yourself a little distance without just breaking down, basically working, especially with Beast of No Nation. Also, I'm, I was curious what kind of research you do um, on the subject in order to understand. I mean, I don't do any research. I, I read, uh, I read a lot, um, but it's more about uh, trying to put yourself in the shoes of your main character. And, and also um, for Beast of No Nation, I stayed away from my family almost for six months wow. for my kids and wife, uh, which was uh, so hard, but it was, but it was um, how the character does it. Mm-hmm. He's away from his family. And it can sh- sound like it's it, it's like a stupid idea or anything, but that's just how it was in our life at that certain point because I had to stay in New York and my family was in Denmark. And we lived in New York, at, but they suddenly had to move back. Mm. So it's not like something I, I made a decision before. Mm. I was like, okay, this is going to be method editing. I'm going to do exactly <laughs> the same as my character. I didn't try to become deaf on this uh, on Sound of Metal. But but you're right. It, it's also something where it scares you a little bit. Mm. Were you cutting commercial work along the way while you're cutting the film, or are you only on the uh, film? Well, uh, I am only working on one thing at a time. Huh. that's great. My my approach to editing is I can't really be in in different projects at the same time. Sure. Which is also why I don't edit that many movies, actually, because I can't go from one film to another film and it wouldn't benefit from it because it's not a nine to five job for me. It's also at night and weekends and and I live it somehow. I mean, I envy people who can do it differently, Um, but but I I have to dig into the project and be with it uh, until I'm being dragged out of the project. Yeah. And I mean, I'm very grateful that my family allows me to do that sometimes. Yeah. No, because I mean, that could be easily be very difficult to live with or to, 
only uh, do that. And I did it actually a couple of years. I did like uh, three or four films in early in my uh, when I started doing films uh, back to back, uh, and I really loved it. But it's also uh, so uh, consuming that I didn't have a life at all. Yeah. And then suddenly you become who are you? And start walking by the walls because you don't really know anyone except for your characters in the film, which don't know you. So you you start to get a little strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's probably how we all feel right now because we've been stuck in our room. And then sometimes we go out and we like look around. And, who, who are all these people? Yeah. And so otherwise, you are you're you're flying to New York or LA and you're cutting commercial work when you're not doing films, right? right. That's great, and there and there. I saw so your spots on the rock paper scissors site, and they're so different. You know, it's so it must be that must be a joy to break out and flex a different muscle. But that's an amazing muscle because that's where you learn. That's where you that's where you also fill your toolbox how to tell a story in thirty seconds and ninety seconds. You get to work with the best directors and DPs and and mm-hmm. all these things. Color. Uh, you try all these new uh, techniques or, or, or things. But it's the same approach. I have a really close collaboration with a, uh, a Danish director, Martin Detura, who, yeah. who does a lot of uh, commercials. We have the exact same approach to the material as I would have on Sana Metal. Mm-hmm. We would go into a summer house and sit and edit together for whatever. Then it's maybe instead of uh, 10 weeks, then it's maybe uh, two weeks or so. Uh, and it's the same approach that you play, you, you try all the things with the material because it's not about saying it has to be this, 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 and this. It might work sometimes, but it might also be that you can do it a different way where it's more interesting. And there's a sensibility and interesting thing in a lot of his work, which I can feel that's also why it's because we work with the material or he shoots the material the way he shoots it. So that I learned so much from these processes. And it's also so playful just to be sucked into a project for three or four weeks and mm-hmm. then you're out. Yeah. Right. And then you've tried it and you, you actually get to work with amazing uh, composers or how to, you try so many things with music and with sound and stuff. So, so it's like you just fill your toolbox and then sometimes a guy like Darius or, or Carrie or Nikolai or whatever, who, or Sophia, whoever you work with on feature films, I can say, hey, wait a second, I have an idea that I tried on this uh, PlayStation commercial many years ago. Uh, maybe we can do it like, that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I love that. The, the U- Ubisoft with the, uh, yeah, with the, with the pastor yeah. in the water. Yeah. yeah um, a- that, was, that was with the same director, right? That was Martin Dutoro? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then that yeah, that was really engrossing too. I mean, I I loved all the all the spots I saw, but that one was kind of one of the ones where I was like, ooh, whoa, like you're cutting a horror film here. Uh, exactly. But we were selling a game which is about uh, you uh, following this person who creates this world, and and you being sucked into this guy's vision and some, and and uh-huh. then you see it as as a film, and you're more like, he's whoa, this is insane. Yeah. I mean, easily could have been a trailer for a horror film, but absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you cut the trailer for Sound of Metal? No. Okay, I wasn't My sure. My company if did. Okay. The Rock Paper Scissors or Jacks, they're called. Uh, did no. That would be very difficult. 
Yeah, I wondered. I assumed you didn't, but I just wondered if maybe you were, you know, because you were a good person for it also. Yeah, no, no. I think he did a really, really good job. Oh, uh, yeah, they did a really good job. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Have you caught any trailers? Yeah, I have. Huh. Is that a process that you enjoy? I find it difficult, actually. I find it difficult condensing. It depends. It depends on what it is they want. want. But but I, I, I know how easily you can trick things with an edit, uh-huh. and and it's like candy to the eye, or it's oh. a cake like you eat. But but sometimes, what if the film is not like that? What if I just trick you into going into the cinema? I mean, there's it's definitely a thing. That some of the trailers are way better than the movie. Like I, I have often felt tricked by a trailer. I I cut commercials, but I'm not um, my best variation of myself uh, doing that. But, but because you also, but actually, what's interesting is that that like a company like Jax at at Rock Paper Scissors, they also work together, multiple editors looking at the same thing, and I would love that. That's that's the right uh, way to do it. I mean, it, it should be more like a collective of, of, of eyes and ears and hands that look at it. Yeah. And then sometimes you have these amazing trailers where it's just like one vision, one idea that's just brilliant. Just like a commercial can be it or a music video can be it. Absolutely. But it's so difficult to find that small thing. Mm-hmm. I'll let you go soon, but I, I'm curious, do you have any... Um... Do you have any other editors that you look to or any favorites or even any films that you've drawn inspiration from? A lot, but, but it's more like, it, it's, 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 it's more like uh, that small sequence. I'm not mm. interested in the perfect thing at all. I'm more interested in, in that was really interesting what it did, that approach to material or that kind of sound together with those kind of images or that kind of montage, or just that kind of opening, or that kind of ending, or that kind of structure, or that kind of, all these things, or how you treat material. Uh, so, so, so I would say I'm influenced by a lot of things, but I don't really watch a lot of things, but sometimes I do. Yeah. I'm influenced by anything which is interesting. Right? And interesting, not meaning that that has to be like uh, what everyone else is watching at all. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm curious is if there if there are other things that you take that influence you. Like, are are you a fan of theater or like when I was watching Sound of Metal, I was like, I wonder if you if you watch theater, if you go or if you like read poetry or anything like that. That's like yeah. outside of this because mm. I got that sense. Mm, thank you. Um, no, I'm more, no, I do. Absolutely. I read a lot. I like to read, uh, I'm obsessed with images like photo mm-hmm. art. I, I collect photos a lot. Um, architecture, people who do crafts, uh, people who are, are good at what they do in certain ways, how you work with wood or how you work with uh, clothes or textiles or how, Sometimes you can just see that someone is like putting an extra effort because it's more than just a job. It's also a hobby. It's their life. I really like that people burn for their things. Mm. You're interested in process and craft. Yeah, the the process for sure. 
but I would be so uh, honored when, when if people say that they can see the same with my stuff or uh, if they feel that, that I, at least I burn for the things I do. That's, mm. that's so important. That, but also very respectful that I get to be asked to work on things. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really grateful that uh, like a project like this comes my way. Yeah. It could easily have gone so many other ways. And sometimes it's, there's just a meaning to things uh, that I had to meet uh, Darius and Nicholas, because that has been a beautiful, interesting relationship. And then realizing in that process suddenly that when I work with the film, that uh, Darius has spent 12 years on trying to make it. Uh, uh, Risa Met spent eight months trying to learn drums or ASL. Then it's suddenly like, okay, who am I then not to walk that extra mile or to at least try and turn every stone and see, I have to do the best I can with this. And the best I can do with this might not be that you love it or you find it that that's the right way, but at least I can say that we have tried all these things. My uh, job was to put you in the head of Ruben and feel that you are with him. So it's, it's the sound that stands out with your main character. So just the fact that people look at it from an editorial perspective is uh, mind-blowing to me because I didn't even think that they would actually understand what kind of work that has been put into trying to create that language. Uh, And then it's about trying to find simplicity and make it more and more and more simple because the more simple things can be told, the more, the, the greater an experience it might be for some people. Well, uh, it came through, and it's it's uh, one of my favorite films, and I really, really love the editing, and I loved every aspect of it, and um, it was visual poetry. That I'm very grateful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and so thank you so much for talking to me today, and of course. good luck, man. Uh, good luck on the awards, and good luck on all the work that you're going to have coming as well. I'm sure you'll work with Darius again, and I'm sure you're going to have incredible projects. But the funny thing about the awards and stuff is that we already won. We yeah. already won because we made the film. And yeah. I never really thought that that would even be a possibility. So just the fact that uh, everything is... Uh, thank you. I don't typically care about the awards that much, but for some reason I feel invested to this one because like I mentioned to you, I saw it a long time ago and I um, yeah. I thought it was special to me. And to see where it is now, I'm like, this is incredible to see the rise and you know, and, and, and yeah. all the accolades and, and just the press and everything. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah, I'm very thankful and grateful and, and all. Yeah, and I really look forward to see the whole team. Yeah. Because we've been on Zoom for a year. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. So I get to get to LA tomorrow. Oh, awesome. Cool. Well, have a good flight. Um, and so uh, take care, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Thank you so much to Mikkel for spending some time with me in the middle of what must be a very chaotic time. I had a fantastic time talking to him about his work on Sound of Metal and listening to his approach to editing. One of the things that continued to be a topic throughout this was his appreciation for the collaborative aspects of the job. Editing can feel like very solitary work, but there's a ton of opportunities for collaboration from just inviting and offering constructive feedback to working with others involved more closely to strategize and find creative ways to make each other's lives easier and jobs more interesting. The other thing that struck me was that the independence he was given, or rather that he demanded from Darius, 
to cut the film first how he wanted gave him more passion for the project than he would have had if Darius had just told him what he wanted. By flexing his creativity and storytelling ability, he invested more of himself, which yielded greater results. It's just something to think about. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Cutting Class is produced and edited by me, John McSwain, and the art and the music are also made by me. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Leave a glowing five-star review and share with your friends and family, neighbors, coworkers, everybody, please. For episode notes and some video clips referenced in this episode, check out the site, cuttingclass.fm. You can also keep up with the podcast and extra show notes by following on Instagram at cuttingclassediting, all one word. Happy editing. Don't forget to hit save. And please remember to support local stores whenever you can instead of large online retailers. They need us now more than ever. Thanks.